Jeffy? I said it right, didn't I? Nailed it. That was so good. You are off to a great start. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Good. That was awesome. I enjoyed this. This was good. Oh, that's it. We're done. I'm going to cut quit while I'm ahead. Leaving on a high note. I get it. <laughs> yeah. I um, I'm not going to lie. I rehearsed it a little bit, but also uh, my last name is McClellan, and I've had it butchered thousands of times. And I've been waiting to go on stage and someone's like, all right, please give it up for Trevor McLaren. And I look around like, is it who was, and then I run out because I'm like, how did you get it that far apart? Have you had absolute butcherings of your name at at different events or no? I I mean, most people get my first name right, at least. The fact that someone called you Trevor is kind of ridiculous. So (laughs) usually my first name is at least right. The last name, some people make a legitimate, sincere effort to pronounce it properly, which is really nice. Other people don't even try and they just kind of trail off with some nonsense, but um, I'm used to it at this point. Yeah. No, but you know what I always think about? I think like, how do you, how do you get name recognition, especially in Canada, when your name is spelled a thousand different ways on different you know, like marketing things. And also people just butcher it and mispronounce it all the time. I'm like, yeah, that's why there's no system here in Canada for people to to make their way to entertainment. Cause it's like, your name is never spelled the same time, uh, same way on any sign. And I'm like, yeah, that's the same guy you liked the last time, but it just, it spelled, they took out four L's and they threw it, you know? So like, how, how do you get consistency? That's what I worry about. I think for me, people just have come to know me as the girl with the long last coach. <laughs> right? It almost works in my favor. It's like, oh yeah, that girl with the long last name that I can't pronounce. So people remember it that way, I think. You flip it, yeah, just make it a positive. Well, that's that's good for you. I've just gotten more bitter over the years, Natasha. I'm not gonna lie to you. I that's I fair. just go, really? We we're not even gonna make an effort. We're just gonna okay, all right. I'm just just in a bad mood for the rest of the day. And uh, that's why I've been dealing with it. Um, how does this find you today? So you're in Toronto. Um, how's the day going for you so far? The day is going well. Uh, the sun is shining. It feels like a true spring day. I think it's like 10 above outside, which is awesome. I just had a putting mat delivered to my condo. I was just unrolling it. I've never had one before. I'm a horrible putter, so I'm excited to uh, start practicing my putting when we're done here. Right. I'm keeping you for your, your indoor golf game in your place. Um, I've only golfed a few times, and I'm not going to lie. I ultimately just go for the drinks in the cart, you know, and mm-hmm. I actually, last time I played, I actually quit on the ninth hole and was like, I'm good. You know what I mean? You guys just do your thing. And I'm just going to keep hitting the drinks when the card comes around. But I wasn't interested in any more of the actual golfing. When did you start golfing? Were you, did you pick it up later in life or was it something you did as a kid? I, I mean, I used to go to the driving range once in a while when I was, I don't know, I guess my 20s. Um, I watched it all the time. My brother golfed, my dad golfed. So I kind of knew about the sport, but I didn't actually start playing until six years ago now, five or six years ago, playing and playing a lot. And now I'm obsessed with it. I love getting out. I, I mean, the drinks are good. There's a lot of rounds where it's all about the drinks, which is super fun, but I feel like it checks off a lot of boxes in terms of I get good exercise. I'm in the great outdoors. I'm hanging out with friends. I get to compete mostly with myself. There's that competition level, obviously, which I love. 
Um, and it's just fun. I don't know. I love it. I found golf, much like a lot of sports, I guess, like the mental aspect of it is so key. Because, but what I found was, because I'm not a good golfer, and there were so many things for me to focus on, like your elbows, your hips. I'm like, I got too much shit in my head. I'm up here now just trying to think about the last thing you said. Now I forgot the other three things I was supposed to keep in line. And then I would get frustrated. And then I would just golf worse and worse as the day yeah. went on. Like I couldn't, I couldn't turn it around after a brutal start. That's why I got frustrated. It is a very frustrating sport. I get frustrated all the time. It's totally, like you said, it's such a mental game. There's a million thoughts running through your head. If you can get it down to just like one or two and just focus on that, apparently that is the key, but you're right. Mentally, it's tough. And I never played um, a solo sport growing up. Like I always played team sports. So now that I'm doing this and it's just me and me alone out there, it's kind of a new thing for me to just be relying on myself the whole time. Right, right. Yeah, because you get the team sports background. I get that. I was in the same way. So maybe that's part of my anxiety with golf too. Uh, also, when I watch professional golfers play and there's just like hundreds of people just on either side. And I'm like, if that's me golfing, yeah, someone's getting put to sleep. Someone's <laughs> getting sculled with a grass cutter and probably the club behind it. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, oh, how, yeah. that's how good those guys are that they're like, no, no, we can literally put people within 30 feet of this. I'm like, how, how, how can you be that good? Until you've actually golfed yourself, you have no idea how intimidating that would be or how difficult that would be just to keep that ball straight when there's a million eyes on you, right? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> the other sport I found that was uh, incredibly hard that I didn't think would be because when I watched it on television, I go, ah, that doesn't look like it's that athletic was curling. Have you ever curled before? Hey, that's also what I've been doing this morning. I love <laughs> I was laughing. I the name. I know both sports that you're playing currently today. This I, was about, I don't think anyone else can top this as a podcast. I, I have turned into a senior citizen. I watch curling. <laughs> I watch golf. You need, you need a card game tonight. You need a card game tonight and some knitting. And I think then you'll have the full seniors yeah. resort package. Trent, I'm not far from it. Online Scrabble <laughs> is like the thing that I'm also doing. So Love it. Curling. I didn't, I only curled a couple times growing up in high school, unfortunately, but I just love watching it. And I think it is very similar to golf. Like there's such, like, it's so precise. Right. And the, the mental game is huge. Um, yeah. I love curling. But the thing with curling that I found, which was misleading when you watch curling, you're always getting that overhead shot, right. Of the house. Yes. So you're like, oh, okay, I can clearly see where the rock should go. When you're standing at the other end of a sheet of ice, yeah. it doesn't look like that. It's just like all these rocks basically look like they're touching. And I'm like, how do you judge how many feet or like there's how much space between those two? That's what I, I couldn't believe how much skill it takes once I actually played it, you know? Yeah, it's wild. I know. It's um, like I said, the precision and just like if you're an inch this way or an inch that way and it just completely changes the game it's all over. Then you add booze to that. You're not getting better. The other thing I'd like to see with curling is full contact. Like, so you know how the other team just stays and watches them curl, but I'm like, no, like let's, you know, throw a defender in there. Right. He can get hit from the side. He's in mid stance. Some guy just comes in, drops a totally different game. Looking for some funding for that. We'll talk later. That's not a bad idea. I like it. Like an extra obstacle halfway down the sheet of ice. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Full contact. 
full contact curling. The briar, full contact. If you saw curlers with helmets, you're like, shit's about to get real here. You know, those curlers, they're so competitive. I feel like they would be all into that. Yeah. I saw a a podcast with Sidney Crosby a little while ago, and he said that when they won the gold in Vancouver, that's who they partied with, the curlers. They were like, they went to Canada House, and they were just hanging out with those guys, just like, yeah. yeah. I was like, all right, that's that's moved curlers up in my eyes. Like, you're like, you're hanging with Sid after he's winning gold? Okay, there's more to this curling thing. Those curlers are rock stars. And especially, yeah, in Vancouver, they won gold, Kevin Martin's team. And yeah, rock stars. Insanity. Yeah. Insanity. I love so it. So you, you talked about earlier, you mentioned you played team sports. Take me back to young Natasha growing up. You're there, you're making homemade putting mats. You're out, you're in there, you're like, hey, reading books on curling. What are you doing? Young Natasha, explain who that is to people. Young Natasha is, I mean, when it comes to sports, like I said, it was always team sports growing up. Um, I have two younger siblings and my parents just put us all in sports at an early age. So soccer was my first sport. And I was the only girl on my team for a couple of years. Um, And not that it mattered. I didn't really, I thought I was, I knew I was the only girl, but it didn't bother me. I was like, whatever, when you're seven or eight, you don't really notice those things. Right. So, yeah. yeah, So I played soccer and then I played all the high school sports. I played um, volleyball, basketball, and a little bit of soccer in high school too. Um, And that was, that was kind of young Natasha. I played piano, I had piano lessons every week um trying to get good marks it's kind of boring actually but that was young Natasha no I think it kind of I found when I look back at my career I played soccer in school and I was pretty shy as a kid but sports I've said this before in the podcast but sports like gave me confidence for one and you automatically get accepted into a small group of people a community you know what it's like when you're a kid you you're young, you're awkward, you're trying to find your place. And I found like, oh, I get a uniform and we're all part of this group. Like I, I think I started to come out of my shell as a result of being on soccer teams and basketball teams. And I think back now to kids who I went to school with who didn't play sports. And I was like, man, how did they navigate like junior high and high school? Cause I don't know how I would have got through it without like having that little anchor of being on a sports team, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, for sure. And I think at my school, it was quite small as well. Like almost the, the basketball team and the volleyball team, and the soccer team were almost always the same. Like you had the same athletes on every single team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that was, yeah, a great way to make friends, right? was just being on a team. And I, at that point in my life, I felt like there was, there was sort of no option not to play. Like, it's just what I did. I was just sort of attracted to it, I guess. And, and yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I, what you said about athletes being on both teams. So I still remember, this is why I hate volleyball. <laughs> so when I was in grade 11 or 12, we were supposed to go to a tournament. I'm from Newfoundland originally, like Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. We were supposed to go to a tournament in Nova Scotia. I was like, oh my God, we're going we're gonna to go to another province. It's a big deal as a kid. And then, but because like eight guys on our basketball team were also on the volleyball team, they had provincials the same weekend. So I couldn't, we couldn't go to the basketball. Oh, I was like, well, just, just 
let's just pick up kids on the way. Like, just grab somebody out <laughs> of grade four. I don't care. Like, just make up the numbers. They're like, no, we're not, we can't take our full team. Oh, I was bitter, Natasha. I was bitter. I still have, I have not watched a volleyball game since. Really? Oh, and this a was lot of anger. Provincials, you said? They had provincials. We were just going to a, a random tournament for basketball, but volleyball was provincials. Oh, okay. Got it. And I'm like, really? Sir, are you going to win it? <laughs> have you ever won one? Have you? No? Oh, you're going to win this one? Right. right. When you're in high school, those things mean a lot. So I can understand, yeah, you being bitter about that. Um, when I was in grade 12, my volleyball team won the provincial championship. That's my sporting claim to fame. And it was, it was huge. It was a huge moment in grade 12 after yeah, yeah. working 10 and 11. And I said, like, all the same girls on your team. And then grade 12, you finally win it. It's unreal. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's a great feeling. Thanks for bringing up how you won, Natasha. Let me tell you how I lost the basketball provincial. So I uh, – we. <laughs> We get to the last seconds, we're down by two. Uh, our point guard drives, he kicks it to me. I go to the hole, I get fouled. Now I gotta go to the free, free throw line. It's one on one, I gotta make the first one. Yeah. I, I hit it off the side of the rim, we lose. We get, this is my grade 12 year, done. This is the semifinal of Provincial. Thanks for bringing this up. So anyway. Story? It, it's now, <laughs> now an eight hour drive to get back to our hometown. We get in our bus. One of our te one of my teammates puts on Phil Collins' song "Let It Rain Down." Do you remember that? Set? I I think I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're all just these teenage boys just crying out like this. Uh -oh. It's over because it meant so much. Like you've been with the same pretty much core team like for years up through junior all the way through, and now it was like, wow, we're done, and we didn't win the championship. Like I was gutted. I was so destroyed. So. I, I understand this pain. Did you end the victory from that? Like I feel oh, that's no. like some trauma. Oh, like that would stay the, with you. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's still nights, Natasha, where I just wake up in the middle of the night and just kind of oh should, no, should have bent my knees, should have bent my knees. You know what I mean? Got more legs into the shot. So whatever, you know. But thanks for bringing it up. But um, you know what though? We know this about basketball. Sure, you could say it came down to you, but there were probably a million chances before that during the game or some, some other kid missed a foul shot or he missed an easy layup or whatever. So that That's is- That's what I tried to say on the bus, Natasha. That's what I tried to say on the bus. They weren't having it. No? They were like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, thank you. That's Dude. why we're recording this. Cause I yeah. can send that off to like, exactly to my former teammates in high school. See, Natasha says, you, you missed the screen. You missed a rebound, Jason. Totally. So I passed it. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I do, I look back on those years fondly and I, and I still have friends that I played high school basketball with. And um, I was lucky enough to go out and play soccer in university, which was awesome. And same thing, I still have friends that I, I made in, in those teams. But I think the thing too, I don't know if you felt this, but like, there's a lot of transferable things that I took from my sporting days into entertainment, like just like showing up and doing the job. Like even when you're not in the mood, like that whole thing about, yeah, I don't really care if you're feeling it today. Like you have to go deliver at eight o'clock or you have to, you have to get it done. Whenever this, the, the ball goes up in the air, you got to be ready or in soccer when the whistle blows, be ready. And the same thing in entertainment. I found like I do stand up, you do our show 22 minutes. It's like, you know, you're not always in the greatest, 
space sometimes, but you still have to go out and deliver. Do you feel like you took anything from your sporting days and brought it into your career life? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I would say probably, I think teamwork would be the biggest one, I think. And you're right, also the showing up. Like, I think my work ethic, um, I think about those volleyball practices, like we used to have practices before school started and I am not a morning person. So we'd be waking up at 5.45, it's 40 below in Edmonton and getting to the high school, right? And having a practice from 6.30 to 7.30 and just hating it the whole time, but I did it anyways. Um, and it paid off. So I think, um, yeah, like I said, work ethic was a big one. And just um, just the sense of team, having teammates. I think I carried that forward as well. Yeah, for sure. Now you said you were, are you the, go ahead, sorry. Sorry to cut you off. Even like when I'm anchoring, you're usually you have a co-anchor and we would always say like team effort, team effort. Like if you want to make sure that if your co-anchor doesn't know something or you don't want to throw them under the bus, like it's the both of you sort of working together to make the best show you can. Right. So I, I was always sort of mindful about who I was working with and what I would say to them and how we would sort of present the stories that night. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I find when I joined 22 minutes a few years ago, like that's the mentality I brought to like team. So I was like, I was really big on, um, like morale and like bonding is like everybody feeling good. Cause I was always like, if everyone's feeling good, then like, we're gonna, we're gonna have fun doing this and we'll just be better doing it. But then I realized like people are so busy and our crew is so big. It's like, you can't, you can't just have a huddle with a hundred people before showtime or during the week. Like, so everyone's off in their own little worlds. And so I was trying to find ways to like inject that team kind of vibe. And, and so you do it in small increments, you know what I mean? Like throughout the day, it's a little conversation with your sound guy. It's a little small conversation with someone in wardrobe or whatever, but I always tried to feel like, like you're asking questions about their life and like what's going on with them and just making them feel included. And I feel, feel like we do a pretty good job of that, but it, it's something I got from sports, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so that's my TED talk that I'll be doing uh, right after this, just about yeah, team. I'm just, uh, when you're on TV show back to what I said about um the work ethic though like I think I wish I had played an individual sport growing up because I think that would have helped me um in in situations now when I'm really nervous or I or I'm you know just having a bad day or whatever I'm not sure I learned that skill really growing up on how to battle on my own I feel like I developed that more as I became an adult sort of yeah, I know what you mean. Well, I think learning that level of resilience that you that we all have to have at some point, yeah. like you're going to be fine to stand on your own two legs. I think, yeah, maybe maybe most people develop it in adulthood. I don't know, you know. Mm -hmm. But if you're right, if maybe if you did an individual sport like swimming or something, or yeah. where you're like, nope, just you today, you know. Right. So what right. do you got, you know? Yeah. Um. So you were so you were the oldest in your family, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And were you the person? just absolutely battering your younger siblings were you the person like they're bringing it in the driveway they're trying to do a layup you're swatting it against the garage door you're talking shit to them you're like don't bring that shit in here don't bring that shit in this house do you know what I mean or were you nurturing were you still team oriented then because they're you know what I mean let's be honest here out of my siblings I am the worst athlete my sister oh, okay. Yeah, my sister is taller than me, more athletic than me. She won a national championship with the uh, Pandas basketball team at the U of A. Oh, wow. 
brother, awesome athlete, played hockey his whole life. He's an amazing golfer. He's six foot two. He played volleyball as well. So I am the runt of the family when it comes to sports. Like I had nothing over these two. So my sister, like my sister is actually, I, we are two years apart. So there were a couple of times or once actually, she got pulled up to play on the same basketball team that I was on. And yeah, she's an excellent player. So unfortunately I was, yeah, I had, I could not bully them around or push them around because they were better. Sorry, better sorry to hear that. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. I was, uh, well, it's unfortunate. But, uh, no, I, so do you take, okay, take me to this. So you go, you finish high school. I just had to talk to a bunch of students from Memorial University where I went to university and the student athletes there. And it was interesting because I was in, talking to them on Zoom. We did a Q&A at the end and they were asking me about like changing path, you know, career paths and stuff and feeling pressure. And I think back to like when I was 17, 18, I'm like, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I'm like, you're like fighting acne at like 17. I was like, what are you like? I know what I'm doing with my life. What are you talking about? So I just came in and followed the crowd, like basically like, I'm going to go into university because that's what you're supposed to do. You graduate, like, where is your head at? What's going on? What were you, what were you thinking about doing and what did you do? So yeah, I was like you, I didn't have a clue. Um, grade 12, I remember like, do you remember chemistry, physics and bio? We, you didn't have to take all three sciences to, to pass. I think you only need to take one or two. I forget what the rule is, but I ended up taking all three because I was like, well, what if I want to be a chemist, which is ridiculous, but I had no idea. So I was just taking as much as I could just to prepare me for whenever I kind of figured it out. And in high school, I remember I had thought about TV broadcasting. Like I used to watch Hockey Night in Canada all the time or watch the games on TV all the time. And I thought, you know what, I think I'd be good at that. Like I can interview a player at the intermissions. Like I know enough about the sports. I think I'd be good at that. But I never seriously considered it. It just didn't seem like like a a real job or something that even I could do. So I kind of just didn't even think about it. So yeah, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I ended up going to the University of Alberta because it seemed like a good thing to have a degree. I picked business and my uncle was in HR. So I decided to major in HR. Like that was the only reason why I had no, I wasn't drawn to it. I didn't really like business. Like, I don't know, but I just picked it. So I did that and I graduated and obviously didn't really like it. I worked for a few years um, doing like a nine to five desk job and I was pretty miserable. Isn't it interesting though, because you, you this has come up a, a couple of times as well. Like that's why I admire athletes so much in terms of career path, because often they lock into it very early in life. Like they start playing junior hockey or they go to you know college and it's like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. It's very clear the path I want to go down. But for most people, we don't have that. Like it, we, it takes us much longer to figure it out. And a large part of it is because we're not exposed to a lot of other careers. So you choose HR and stuff because you're like, oh, I know someone in that. So right. it's that tangible and measurable. I wanted to be, I think deep down, always wanted to be a comedian, but I never had access to anyone who did that. I couldn't talk to someone who actually had that career. So it was just something on my television set right. all these years, right? So um, it's interesting that you said that. Yeah, it takes, um, I mean, for me, it took me being so unhappy doing the business stuff and the HR stuff to really be like, okay, 
this is not working. I cannot be this unhappy for the rest of my life. So I felt like I had nothing to lose at that point. Um, so it took me, I guess that's, that's part of the journey, right? Is, is how you get to make, to make those certain decisions. So I, did, I went back to school when I was 26, um, oh, quite a bit older than all the other kids in my class, but that worked to my benefit down the road. Yeah, like, I know, like at your, when you're 17, even when you're 22, it's, it's hard. Who's got that figured out? I don't understand. And I think I've argued this with other people. I think a lot of people who lock into that early in life, it doesn't necessarily mean they're happy. Like right. they may have chose, okay, this is the lane I'm going in. But now there's a pressure because they put all this money and time into say engineering or whatever it is. And they're like, well, I kind of got to be in this now because I have all this money and time invested. And even if they're unhappy, they just continue to go down that road and talk bullshit about, well, I get to retire. And it's like, what, you're just going to wait till you retire to live the life you want to live. And so I think more kids should be encouraged to just not feel the pressure off the top and go, just go try things and just mm -hmm. see what appeals to you. How do you know when you're 17 in a small town, you know, and for me, like it was pre-internet. So like my, my right. career choices would have been like, what brochures were in my guidance counselor's office? Like, uh, what do we got here? Paramedic? Yeah, your marks aren't great in that. Let's fly that one over here. You know? <laughs> so there was no comedian brochure is what you're saying. There's no. no, like just a guy with a horrible suit and a microphone. Like I'm like, what's that one? I want to try that job. Is he a salesman? Kind of. Um, so yeah, but I feel like if kids are exposed to more and have access to people who are actually doing these things, you can actually go, okay, that's a real job. Like, you know, so I think a lot of kids would be better served if they had access to that kind of stuff. Um, so you, you get to this point, you're like, I cannot do this every day. The alarm goes off. You're just like, Oh God, I gotta go do this thing. I gotta go human resource people. And you, you, what, what happens then? What do you do? You go back to school. Yeah. So I, I, sort of had a bit of an epiphany and I just decided, okay, this is dumb. I'm not doing this anymore. And I, I felt, you know, I always had the degree to fall back on and the TV diploma uh, program at Nate was only two years. And I'm like, yeah, it's not that bad. I think I, I think I can do it. So right. quit my job, uh, went back to school and it was a year and a half in the classroom and it flew by. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. And then I just got to work. I did my internship and worked, 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 moved my way up the ladder pretty quickly. I bounced around in Saskatchewan and moved around a bunch of times from news and then to sports um, and then back to Edmonton. And I don't, I was, I was really lucky. I, I, a job always opened up where I needed it to open up. If that right. makes sense. And I was always lucky enough to land that position. So yeah, it just, it felt so much, more so much right so much more right does that make sense so much more comfortable yeah. doing that it just felt right yeah right compared to the age now, right so when you go to school the second time are you far more focused are you more dialed in are you like or were you were you did you feel it was a bit of a grind as well like how did it feel no I was so much more focused um and that, I mean, the kids that I was in, they were all 17 and 18 and they just wanted to be on TV, right? Which is fine. But for me, there was so much more riding on it, right? Just because I had quit my job and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I really, really, this was like my second kick at the can of finding a career that actually, that I would have enjoyed. So I was like, okay, this really needs to work. So I was really serious about it. 
and I knew how competitive it was. So I was, you know, doing all the little things, volunteering and getting all the extra credits and just trying to make myself stand out from everybody else in my class. Right. Um, because I felt like I didn't have time to screw around anymore. Like I was 26. Looking back now, I still feel like I was a baby. But at the time, I was like, oh my God, I'm so old. I got to figure this out. I have to make this happen. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was super serious at that mm-hmm. time. Well, one of the dangers too, because I was in the same boat in a certain sense when I looked at a lot of my friends, like I looked over the fence and a lot of them had majors chosen and they knew what they were doing. They went straight into these jobs. And I felt like I'm the only person who doesn't know what he's doing. So I felt this pressure to like, I got to choose something. I got to pick something. So I think it's a normal feeling for a lot of people, especially as you get in your mid twenties, again, still pressure to like, you got to figure something out. You got to choose something. And, and so it's very isolating, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, with our jobs now, they're not run of the mill jobs, right? Like there weren't that many women doing sports at the time. There were a few, but not a ton. So to say, Oh, I'm going to be a sports reporter was a little bit crazy, right? Like that people weren't sure about what to think about that. And I'm sure the same was for you becoming a comedian. Like, it's not like you're going to industry, right? It's, it's different. There are riskier positions, the risky things to go after. Definitely. And one of the things you said too, like you bounced around quite a bit. I feel like um, it's amazing how many more opportunities you're provided when you're willing to be flexible in terms of, hey, I'm willing to pack up everything I have and go to another place. A lot of folks aren't willing to do that. I find that surprising where it's like they want opportunity and they want change, but they need it to happen in their area code. Like it's got to happen here. Where were you always someone who just enjoyed traveling and going, oh, I'll just figure it out. Like you enjoyed seeing new places. Like where did that come from? Your ability, like the, just the, the desire to just go, yeah, okay, fine. I'll move to Saskatchewan or I'll move to wherever. Right. I mean, I think I, I think I was pretty open to adventure growing up. Um, I just like to do things, try new things. But the one thing that our teachers at Nade hammered home was they really tried to, um, What's the word? They just really talked about how much of a benefit it would be if we went to small markets, because that's where you get to practice the most. You learn everything from the ground up, right? You get to shoot your own highlights, write your own highlights, edit your own highlights, anchor, you cover all the different things. And they just said, if you try and go to a big market right off the bat, you'll never get that opportunity. So if you can try and find a gig in a small town, that's the best way to do it. And I took that to heart. So yeah, from in Saskatchewan, I started my internship at Lloydminster, and then I moved to Regina, Yorkton, Prince Albert, and Saskatoon. Did the whole like circle, um, yep. and got some great experience. But I moved like I forget seven or eight times in three years. But wow. I, I guess it wasn't that. I mean, it was hard, but I felt like I was always advancing. So it was they were good moves. I was moving towards um, my goal, I guess. So yeah. I mean, it's tough. Yeah, not everybody can do it. You're by yourself. You're meeting new people every, I mean, you have no friends every single time you move, right? You're moving into a new environment. And I mean, I'm pretty independent. I'm probably more independent than I should be. (laughs) But it's, it's tough for a lot of people to move away. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think I remember because I moved from Newfoundland to Calgary. And I remember like, waking up in Calgary being like, where am I? I'd lived in Newfoundland my entire life. I go to Calgary and I'm like, I'm going to work. I, I used to work with kids, like boys and girls club, community center stuff. So I was going to try and find a job in that world, but I wanted to try stand up comedy. That was the big goal because there was no comedy clubs in Newfoundland. There was no comedy community per se. 
So I moved there, but I remember that sense of like, feeling like the, the, the kid getting off the bus in Hollywood, you know, where you're just kind of like, what is, right. where am I? And, and it's overwhelming. Like it does take a, a period of time to, to again, rely on your own resilience and trust that you'll figure it out. Like, I know you have nothing but questions right now, but you will figure it out and it gets a little easier each day. But I think some people just don't trust that. They don't trust that they, they would be able to figure it out if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny, I guess my experience would be the opposite of yours moving from Edmonton, which is a medium sized big city to a small town. It's, it's same, but different, right? You're just, it's completely right. different environment going to such a small town. Um, Rest, but, restaurants closing at seven. You're like, I can't. Exactly. Like nothing open on Sundays. Like the mall was closed. Like it was bizarre. It was, and yeah. I, it was actually a girl. She had moved from Toronto to Saskatoon. We met in Saskatoon and she would always say like when we were downtown, I, I just don't get why it's so quiet. Like where are all the people? And I didn't understand what her issue was because I had never been to Toronto. But now that I've lived in Toronto for 10 years, I can see why it was so upsetting for her to go to Saskatoon. <laughs> it's so quiet there compared to Toronto. But I mean, this is like, this is why I tell kids to go to different cities because you just, I don't know, our country is awesome. It's great to see different cities and you just get all these different experiences and you learn yep. so much about yourself and what you can handle. Yeah, I agree. You learn a lot about yourself, but also... I found in doing stand-up, like I, you'd play, you know, from small city to small town to big city to hamlets to villages. Like I'm mm -hmm. like, these are places I never would see otherwise. And then you realize how big Canada is and how diverse it is and how hard it is to get everyone on the same page because someone who grew up in Lloyd Minster with two different time zones within the same town and two L's for no reason. And it's like that person you've got to match their needs and what they want in their life with a person who's living, you know, in downtown Toronto or in Vancouver or in, you know, outport Newfoundland. It's like just completely different experiences all within the same country. It's insane. So for you, would you change your jokes or would you change your material from city to city, depending on the type of city you were in? Oh, I would just go in and whatever I could find to hammer, I would hammer that. Like if I went into a town, they're like, I've seen seven liquor stores and I've been in here this town five minutes. Like right. that's getting it tonight. That's <laughs> definitely getting mentioned tonight. I go, you guys have one school, seven liquor stores. I know what right. the priorities are here. And like, that's either going to go very well yeah. or very, very badly in that moment. And you'll, you'll know. So yeah, that's awesome. I would, yeah. Some things were universal that you would just have in your act that you knew you could use relationship material, whatever. But there are certain things I try to go like, what was my travel day like today? Can I bring some of that on stage? What did I notice about the hotel, the town? So it's almost like your radar is always just picking up data as you're going throughout your day. And I would back then just write it down or I'd try and remember it so that when I went to stage, I was like, Moe's Tavern, mention that tonight and just see what happens, you know? So that's how I used to play it just to keep it fresh for myself too. Well, that's a good way to endear yourselves, I think, endear yourself to your crowd when they know that you've noticed these things, right? I think they would instantly yeah. be like, oh, this guy actually is paying attention to what our city or town is about. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they saw it as you're not just coming in and, hey, thanks, see you later. They're like, you took time to, to notice things and people appreciate that normally. Also, I've always said this as a comedian, it's very interesting that I get to go on stage and say things about a town probably other people can't say, but I, but I say it with a smile on my face with the intentions of making them laugh. They're like, yeah, he's right. We do have a lot of liquor stores here. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> you will can say that. It's like, yeah, he's right. We didn't drink a lot. Yeah, they're high five each other. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I guess if they're coming to a comedy show, you'd hope that they would be there to laugh, obviously, and that they can take a joke. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's good. You'd think. You'd think. But I've seen many people come to shows with their arms folded. Like, go ahead. Right. Go ahead. I don't want to be here. I got dragged here. Man. This guy's not Jerry Seinfeld. So anyway, um, you get to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Were you at any moment, did you feel, feel like deer in the headlights? Like what, tell me about getting to Toronto and starting with TSN. How does this all go down? Yeah, definitely deer in the headlights. Um, just because it was never my goal to come to Toronto. Like when I went to school, I always just had it in my mind that I would want to get back to Edmonton and cover all the teams that I grew up watching, like the Oilers and the Eskimos, like to me, just to get a job in Edmonton, because there were literally six jobs, like three TV people at CTV, three people at um, Global, and then maybe a few up, maybe a channel, I forget, but there's just so few jobs, right? I just thought that would be my main goal. So after being in Edmonton for two years, and then I got invited to go to TSN, I just didn't I didn't know if that's what I wanted to do. I didn't think I knew enough about sports. Um, it was the big city. I had never been here before, but it just felt like one of those things that you can't, you can't say no to those opportunities. I feel right. Like it was always, well, if it doesn't work, you can always go home. And it was yeah. um, only supposed to be a one-year maternity leave. So I thought, all right, what the heck? So yeah, coming here was huge. It was, everything was intimidating about it really the city is so huge there's so many people um tsn was intimidating because it was just it was awesome i mean it's tsn right which to me was the gold standard for sports in the country so i felt like a fish out of water um but i mean they they kept me around so i guess i did enough good things in the first year to stick around but but yeah it was hard it was challenging i was i was lonely all i really did was work you know for that first year that was like my main focus and it didn't matter if I didn't have friends or whatever because I was here to work and then eventually obviously I stayed here longer and so my life changed a little bit but it was tough coming here absolutely yeah I think I saw a post today someone put on social media and it's like um I guess with the the um Meghan Markle Harry thing that came out with Oprah the other day and of course people like I how this divides people I don't know like how people are like ah she's privileged really she couldn't wait it's like i'm just like this is why people don't talk about their shit this is why people don't feel like they can be vulnerable enough to express the fact that they need help mm-hmm. and it was just the whole bigger concept of like career and but how important happiness is and feeling regardless of how much you make or what job you have like do you feel fulfilled and do you feel happy every single day and it's like people don't put enough focus on that because they think a dollar amount is going to change you or this title will change you. But if you don't, if you're not happy at the end of the day, none of it matters. So I, I just find it interesting, like, cause you know, you're going through, you were going through a transition at that point when you moved to Toronto and it's like, it's, it's hard. It's hard to focus on those things, but someone would watch you on TV and go like, she's got it made. She's on TV. She's talking about sports. That's a dream job. No one sees the shit behind the scenes, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. It's um, it looks like a fantastic job from the outside and it really is, but yeah, moving here by myself, um, working late nights all the time, not having a ton of friends, at least in the beginning, uh, being away from my family. Yeah. I was pretty miserable (laughs) for a while. 
Yeah. Um, you're right. And yeah, that's, it's funny though. Some people, you get both, both people, right? Some people say exactly what you just did. Oh, it's a dream job. You must love it. Like what a great life you have. But then there's other people who are, I guess, wiser or more perceptive. And, you know, they say, you know, do you like it though? Are you enjoying yourself? You know, what's it like being in the big city? And they're kind of more attuned to knowing that maybe everything isn't perfect because for most people, no, rare, few people have perfect lives, right? There's always something maybe that's yeah. going on. So uh, yeah, it's, I mean, the job like now I love it. Um, so I, I think it's just a matter of finding that balance, I think, between your job and, and your life eventually. Yeah. One of the big things for me with because of the amount of travel that I had to do, especially my early in my career at stand up in particular, um, and now that like, we shoot 22 minutes in Halifax, so half the year I, I live in Halifax, half the year I live in Calgary, right? So I would do six months, six months. But combine that with stand up travel as well. I used to find myself really isolated from my friends' lives and my family's lives because I would just be under the loop. Like, I'm like, no, I'm I have a gig in Toronto or Ottawa or wherever. And I was missing like weddings and missing like, you know, so after a while, even when I had downtime, they're all, they've all moved on with their lives. They're all right. like, you know, married, kids, living in the burbs, doing their thing. And I'm like, I was like, hey guys, who wants to? And they're like, oh dude, sorry, the kids got swimming or whatever. I was just like, oh, okay. You know, like I found, it was really hard because I'm like chasing my dream and loving it. But yeah. I realized I paid a price for that. And I don't know if you would have felt the same thing, but. Right. Yeah, I f there was a lot of FOMO, a lot of, you know, because with sports, you're working, usually you're working at night, that's when the games happen, you're all, you know, you're late nights, and people, they don't really get that sometimes, right, like, <laughs> when everybody else is out, you know, at parties, or at the bar, or having barbecues, or whatever, you're working, and when you're starting in your career, you're usually on weekends, too, so when people are doing all those great things, where they're at the lake, or they're camping, or whatever, you're still at work there um, doing your thing. And, you know, lots of times getting home at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. or whatever. So it is, it can be super lonely in this position, yeah. This job. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, there's a price to pay for everything, I think, but people often don't, you know, a lot of people think there isn't. And I think you're right. Some people are very in tune to that and say like, no, I, I know you're paying a price on another end. Like something is, to get something, you have to give something. And, I, and that's just the way life works. But um, so walk me through day to day, like what a schedule, what a day would be like at TSN. So if you're working, say a Saturday, you're working an evening, like what, walk me through what a day would be like with regards to that. Like what, if I shadow you for, if I would have shadowed you for a day, then what would have happened? Um, you would have shown up with me around, I don't know, let's say seven or 8 PM, um, we would go into makeup together. We would get our hair done or do our <laughs> Right. Just Why powder. I... You just need powder. You look great. Okay, get the shine off the head here. I got you. Yeah. So we do all that first, get that out of the way. And then um, basically sort of touch base with the producer, look at the lineup. The producer would build the lineup. So we would already have, you know, when we get in, it's already built so we can see sort of what the big stories are of the night, what we need to focus on. And then after that, um, writing, like usually the anchors have three or four stories or pieces that they need to write into like intros sort of just explain what's happening. Um, so sometimes, I mean, sometimes that would take five minutes if you know the content really well, like for me being a hockey fan, if it was an Oilers and flames game, I could probably bang something out in a couple of minutes. Cause I already know what's happening. If it's something more 
obscure to me, I don't know, cricket or whatever, I could spend half an hour or 45 minutes like researching, right? Right. So once you do all the writing, then basically you just wait for um, the highlight packs to start coming in. So there's a person um, doing every single game, watching the game, writing the highlights for you. And they would give us scripts and then we get to watch the highlights and just sort of go over the script to make sure everything makes sense. And then add our own, um, our own spin on it. If we wanted to our own sort of pizzazz, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, and then we were on one, like I did the loop show for a while at TSN, the 1am show was the very last show of the night. And then you're, I mean, you're just up live at 1am and off you go. Hopefully you were live at that time. Like you were, yeah. 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 So uh, Monday to Friday, the 1am show was always live and it was the last show of the night. So the problem with that was we couldn't leave until every single game was done. Every final score was in right. which is fine for most of the year, but when playoffs hit and you're waiting for the Canucks to finish on the West coast, right. triple overtime yeah. right. would be there till literally three or 4am some nights. So that's, that was tough. Yeah. Um, I mean, that didn't happen that often, like I said, just through playoffs, but that can wear on you as well. But yeah, that 1am show was, was live. Wild. And then, so, cause I've had this too, as a, as a standup, like quite often it's late nights, like you finish late, but also the adrenaline of like just performing, right. It's hard to just turn that off and go, well, see you later. Cause even if you go home immediately, I don't, you just can't fall asleep. Like, yeah. Did you, how was that for you? Because if you're finishing at 1 a.m., you're going to get home at what, 2, 2, 2.30. Yep. Like, are you now just wired and you're like, all right, like you become a night owl? Like, how does that work? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, like you said, it's it's the biggest part of your day. Like you're on at, that, at 1 a.m., right? You have to be on and awake and energetic and ready to go. And the lights are flashing in your face and, you know, the noise and the highlights, whatever. Like you are on at 1 a.m., yeah. And so then to come home, I mean, some of the anchors, they have no problem crashing. I was not one of those anchors. It took me an hour, a couple hours to wind down. So usually it was like a 4 a.m. sleep time for me because it's, it's hard to come down after that. Yeah. So that was, that was tough. I wish I had better sleep habits, but I couldn't quite figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird thing. And I... Uh... I used to, I had to accept it after a while. Like, okay, it's just, that's the battle you're going to have to have. But uh, I was like, people go to bed at 10 o'clock. I'm like, I would love to go to bed at 10. 10 o'clock would be awesome. You get up at a normal time the next day. But then the other side of what you're, you're describing is like, you're probably waking up at like noon or like one o'clock. And now you're like, what time is it? Like, does your body just get into a rhythm then of like, okay, that's, that's how we do it now. And that becomes normal. So breakfast at like 1230, one o'clock. That was exactly how it was like. And people would ask me to do things, you know, at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. And I just, they would think, I, I feel like they thought I was such a loser because I'm like, oh no, that's too early for me. But I just, I tried those doing things early in the morning, but I just couldn't do it. So eventually I, was, I just said no to everything that was before noon. I just couldn't do it because I really, I tried to get those seven or eight hours of sleep um, yeah. because you can't, yeah, you get exhausted. Yeah, no, it's, well, I guess self-care too is important, right? For it's something I've kind of embraced more over the last bunch of years is like, because you're chasing this thing and working hard and doing all those things, you can forget like, oh, are you taking care of yourself too while you're doing this thing? Because you, you're getting four hours sleep or you're not drinking enough water. Like I had to really start 
kind of doing an audit of my life a little bit and going like, you need to start, especially as you get older, like, okay, let's, you know, make sure we're taking care of us because it's quite often the world out there is not doing it and your schedule is not doing it. So you have to kind of force certain things to happen that work for you. They might not make sense to everybody else, but they work for you. Did you get to that point? Yeah, I, th- I think, like I said, the saying no to people just with the early morning invites to do things, that that was the biggest one for me because I just, sleep is so important, I think. And yeah. I mean, I was pretty good in the exercising and the nutrition part of everything, but just that sleep was the biggest one for sure. Huge thing. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about anchoring, co-anchoring. <clears throat> did you guys get to choose that? Was that kind of, did that come from the top down in terms of what the pairings would be? How did that work? And is it a thing that makes a difference? Is there a camaraderie and a kind of a chemistry that you have between co-anchors and how did that unfold for you? Yeah, that would come from the top down. Um, usually the rookie anchors would start on the weekends uh, kind of put your time in there but then you know after you're there for a few years you kind of get shuffled to the weekday and maybe into the prime time spots more often um, and yes I would say it does make a difference who you're anchoring with I think it's it's just like friendships you know you get along with some people better than others you have more chemistry with some people than others and it's the same thing um, when you're co-anchoring some people you just it just clicks better than with other, with other people. Um, but I mean, for mostly you can, I mean, you can do a show really with anybody really, but some of the, I think the better shows are the ones where the anchors have the best chemistry or the most familiar with each other. Yeah. You, I think two viewers can sense it. Like I think it, you, it comes through on camera. Agreed. Yep. I, I absolutely agree. It's funny what people notice the comments that you get after like, Oh, do you like anchoring with this person? Or you, you know, you seem to have really fun with this person and viewers can absolutely pick up on that. <laughs> Would you ever, or had you ever said, I'm not anchoring with such and such, you don't have to name names, but do you ever go like, nah, I'm not feeling this. I mean, I was never given that choice. I don't think I ever would be. <laughs> um, but no, there's nobody that I would say no to. No. Right. No. You're like, no, I got to do a job. They got to do a job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, the madness about being a stand comedian is often you get thrown in a car with an absolute maniac for six days and you have to travel around Canada. You just met this person. Like this is just a person you picked up the airport and now you're paired off. Like when you first start. And I think it's a, it's a battle of attrition, a war of attrition where you just have to like how much shit can you put up with and survive and still want to be a comedian at the end of it. And then the ones left standing have a shot at a career because you just get thrown in with people that you don't get to choose. And so yeah. I think a lot of people quit stand up and quit entertainment sometimes because they don't get to control the, the people that they're working with. And so um, it just sucks the fun out of it. It's just like, well, why, why would I give up six days of my life to go sit in a car with someone who chain smokes and likes to listen to death metal for seven days. You know what I mean? Like it's just a Yeah. But I think that's a good point. Like you have to be adaptable and some people aren't that adaptable and this business, it's a tough business. It's competitive and you have to figure out how to make things work. Sometimes if you want to keep going and if you want to keep advancing, you got to figure it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Now, you get there. Did you feel immense pressure? Did you feel immense pressure when you started? Like, I got to make this thing work. I got to make this thing last. I, I moved to Toronto. Um, how did you approach it mentally? Um, 
I guess I didn't, I don't know what I, I don't know where the pressure came from. I just, I really wanted to do a good job. I didn't, I didn't want to suck being an anchor. I didn't want to be, oh, there's the new girl. She sucks. Right. Like I, I feel like the standard was so high at TSN that I just wanted to fit in. Um, and I really wanted to do a good job. I, like I said, like I started on the weekends, I wasn't anchoring a whole lot at the beginning. I was just kind of filling in different shows. So there wasn't a ton of pressure on me to be like in the primetime spotlight or anything, but I think it's just that internal sort of, I just, I want to be good at everything that I do. Right. I want to work hard. And that was it. I wasn't sure how long I would stay. I didn't know if I wanted to stay. That was never really in my mind. I just kind of wanted to do a good job in the moment and then sort of see what would happen. I was kind of open to anything at that point. Right. You weren't too, you weren't projecting into the future too much. Just kind of like win the day kind of thing. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you're at TSN for how many years? You were there for how many years? 10 years. Yeah. 10 years is in this day and age is a long time to be in a profession. You know, when people tend to like move on fairly quickly, you then you find out you're not, you're not going to be coming back. How does this go down? How do you feel about it now that you've had some time? Yeah, it's funny how many people said what you just did that they said, oh, 10 years, you had a great run, like 10 years is awesome. And I never thought about it that way before because I, it's true, I guess, 10 years is a really good run. I just, I felt like I'd, I could have worked another 10 years there and it would have been just as awesome and great. And yeah, I don't know that, the, I guess it's a good run, but I felt like it could have been way longer, but how do I feel about it now? I mean, I feel, I think the shock has mostly worn off, which is good. Um, I'm still sad about it. Like I, I said before, I loved that job. I love doing highlights. Um, it's just a really fun job. So, so I miss it. But at the same time, I have felt sort of the pull um, to go back west, I think, so I can be closer to my family. I've been feeling that in the last year or two. Mm -hmm. So to me now, it's kind of like, well, now I really don't have a reason to stay here if I don't want to, right? Like I, the job was basically the main thing holding me here, plus all of my amazing friends that I now have. Like I have such a great network of friends, but really it was still all about the job. So now that I don't have the job, it's just been, it's sort of been an interesting exercise to figure out what I really want to do now, because I can literally do anything. And I, I mean, it would have been really hard to quit TSN because I love that job so much. I don't know if I ever would have been like, all right, I can't do this. I got to say no to this. I'm moving to Calgary. I'm moving to Edmonton or whatever. It would have been really hard to have to make that decision. So now it almost feels like the decision was made for me. Mm -hmm. So there's in a way there's less, I feel less pressure or something. If that makes sense that I don't have to yeah. make that decision. So, um, yeah, I feel like the world is my oyster right now. And I've had, you know, a few different opportunities um, sort of sent my way, people are reaching out, but I'm not in any huge rush to make a decision about where I want to live or what my next job will be or anything like that. I'm just trying to sort of reflect and just take some downtime basically. Yeah. I, I found when the lockdown happened in the spring, that's kind of what I did for myself at that time. Like I knew I was, I didn't know yet if I was coming back to 22 or what was happening, but I remember being like, man, like everything stopped anyway. 
So it's a good time to kind of, I describe it as um, almost an artist of my life in general. Like, what am I doing career-wise? What am I doing with the podcast? Why am I doing the podcast? Um, certain friendships and relationships with family members, like, because everything had stopped, I finally had time to go, why am I doing all the things that I'm doing? And are they good for me? And are they still serving me? And should I be putting more work into certain areas? But it, it kind of, that's when I kind of had that same moment that you're probably having a little bit now where I, I actually put everything under a microscope and was like, yeah, you know, these are all choices. Everything I'm doing is a choice. Totally. And do I still need to choose these things or should I be choosing something different? Yeah. And I think a lot of people are doing that same sort of reflection with this lockdown. Um, but you're, and you're totally right. Everything is a choice and it's so easy to forget that when you're in something you just forget that you can literally do whatever you want. You don't have to be doing what you're doing at that moment. You don't have to be living where you are. You don't have to be doing this, that, or the other thing. You can choose anything you want really, which is, yeah. which is kind of scary too. That, to me, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. a lot to handle, right? To know that you can do whatever you want, having that, um, those choices and the ability to just be like, nope, I'm doing this. And to take total control of, of your life is kind of scary. Well, it's funny because I've said that to people before. The only thing worse than having no choices is having all the choices. Exactly. You ever go to a restaurant? You ever go to a restaurant and they have five things on the menu? You can decide pretty quick. Right. You're like, I'm going with the burger, not a problem. But you go to a menu and it's nine pages. You're like, ah, oh, Jesus, I don't. How do I? They also have pasta. Son of a. Like I'll right. be there for an hour. Yeah. I have been Googling for the past couple of weeks how to make big decisions. And I've been watching TED Talks and reading articles and learning. There's got to be a better way than just writing a pros and a cons list is what I've been yeah. doing with certain things. I'm like, there's got to be better ways to think about this other than just pros and cons. So I've been yeah. <laughs> trying to uncover new methods of making big decisions. Well, I think you were on to something earlier. You said when you moved to Toronto in the first place, you thought... You know, it's a maternity filled position. If it doesn't work out, I can always turn around. And I, I try to approach my own decisions in life like that now, where I'm like, nothing is set in stone, nothing. And also nothing is fatal. Everything is like, it works out or it doesn't. You're happy or you're not. You can turn the car around and either go back the way you came or go to a different location. But I think even as adults, we forget that. We feel like if I get on that plane, man, that's, I got to make shit work. It's like, no, you don't. You literally try your best. If it doesn't work out, change it. And I, I still have to constantly remind myself of that, even as an adult now. So I feel bad for kids, like if that makes any sense, but. Yeah, um, no, you make a great point. And I think the other thing, especially for me too, is not everything is black and white. Like not every choice is either good or bad. Like you can have a lot of good choices, right? They don't, it's not so black and white sometimes. Like that choice can be good. That one can also be good. And it's just a matter of trying to figure out which one you want to try in the moment, but not every yeah. single decision is right or wrong. Yeah. And everything is everything. It's like, everything is going to come with some restriction and some tough moments. It's not like that's why I feel it's really dangerous when people say, follow your passion. Like, you know, everyone's like, Oh, follow your passion, follow your passion. And because it often it implies, and they say this thing with it, they go, you'll never work a day in your life. I'm like, you need to shut up because it's nothing but work. Like, you know, I always give the adage of like, Sidney Crosby loves what he does, but I'm sure when he's in the weight room where he has a parachute tied to his back running up sand dunes, he doesn't have a smile on his face. He's not like, this is the best. And he's just running up there. Like 
everything comes with effort and work and some sense of sacrifice. But I think the danger in saying, follow your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. The danger of that is people who have not found the thing they want to do, they're looking for something that involves no effort or work now. That's like, we've told them, you know what I mean? Yep. Just because you're following your passion or you have your dream job doesn't mean that it's easy. Like that, that doesn't make sense, right? Nothing, nothing is easy. There's always going to be some level of work, even if you love your job and it's your dream job, there's still work behind it. There's still, there's always sacrifices to anything, always. Yeah, always. And so I feel like people just need to be like transparent about that and just talk about it. Like, but I feel we almost sugarcoat it and gloss it up and people are doing keynotes talking about, oh, I get up, it's like, no, you don't. You don't get up every day with a smile on your face. Like we have call times at like, you know, 6.30 a.m. I'm like, I have three hours sleep. Like I don't, I'm not waking up, that alarm goes off, I'm just beaming. It's like, it's the transition in work. So I think, I just wish people were more transparent about that, you know, in, because I think people who haven't found it, they're gonna be lost forever because that's the thing they're looking for. And it doesn't exist. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. Yeah. I feel bad sometimes when um, kids in journalism school will call me to chat. I try and make sure they know the sacrifices that come with the job and how they'll be working nights and weekends and they'll probably be in some small town in the middle of nowhere and sometimes I feel bad because I feel like I'm negative but I feel like they really need to know that part of it too yeah I agree I tell stand-ups the same thing like you better be doing this for the right reason because if you think you're going to walk on stage and be Kevin Hart next week like it's a grind and just do it because you love it and then you'll do the work because you're enjoying it um, and I think that's kind of part of what you were doing. You're like, yeah, I just love doing this. So I'm willing to put the effort in every single day. Right. Yeah. Um, when you were doing, when you're on TSN as well, like, were you doing other things outside? Like, I know you had the whip it up Wednesdays and stuff and you're doing just like fun stuff on social, but like, were you doing any kind of like hosting events or doing keynotes and stuff? Like, is that anything that ever you were ever interested in doing? Yep, I started doing um, a little bit of hosting for events, sort of emceeing, um, kind of moderating some panels as well, which I enjoy doing. Um, I don't, I've done a couple of keynotes. I don't love them. I, I, I don't love public speaking. I'd much rather be in a little studio with a camera rather than standing in front of an audience of a thousand people or 500 people or whatever. It's, it is way out of my comfort zone. Um, and I don't know if that will ever change. Like I just, I get so nervous, um, but I still do it. Like, I, I mean, there's money to be made doing these sorts of things. <laughs> I still feel like I want to conquer that. Like I want to be able to get up there and do a keynote and not be nervous. I don't know if that will ever happen, but I'm, it, it annoys me a little bit, but I still get as nervous as I do when I do those kinds of things. I don't know I if think, you, you need to give me some advice with that maybe because you're always up there in front of people. Yeah, I, I, it's insane. I, I think with, like anything in life, like repetition just creates more comfort with it. But I'll tell you what, I, I read a magazine article, Rolling Stone, and it was talking, an uh, interview with Bruce Springsteen. And Bruce Springsteen says he still gets nervous before showtime. And he goes, it means two things. It means something's at stake, something yeah. really cool is about to happen. So you feel your body change. And he goes, number two, it means you're sober and you're aware like so he's like there's a lot of videos but the minute I pick up a guitar it all goes away like I just feel like okay I'm home and for me now getting on stage it feels like home but it doesn't feel like that ahead of time it feels like okay here we go like something's 
it's like an athlete getting ready for a big game. And like, you just feel that nervous energy. But once you're in the lights and doing your thing, it just, you feel relaxed, adrenalized, but still somewhat relaxed. And the other piece of advice I heard was that if you think about the audience, instead of thinking about yourself, you just don't get as nervous. So you just think like these people work really hard. They've paid their money. They just want to be entertained for the night and they want to have a good time. It takes the pressure off you in a weird way because you're thinking about them. I don't know if that makes sense, but. I think it does. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Bruce is right. Um, the yeah. fact that oh, I get nervous wow. because I care about it and I want it to be good and something is at stake. So I think that's the biggest thing, but um, I'm also, I don't know. I'm pretty hard on myself. I feel like things always need to be perfect. And if they're not perfect, then I, then I get annoyed with that. So I need to work on that part as well. No, I hear you. It's uh, giving, we all need to give ourselves more grace. I think that it doesn't have to be perfect out of the gate. Like it's going to oh. be get better and better and better, but we want to be perfect from the get-go. It's like, mm -hmm. it's not realistic. It's like for anybody, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so someone's getting into journalism now. Um, the face of it has changed so much since you, since you first started, obviously it's like with technology and that, how things are going. And one of the things that we touched on earlier with like Megan and the Harry thing, like I, I am assuming you have, I have, I've received like hate stuff online. I've received like people finding my email and directly sending me stuff like just insane stuff. Have you had to deal with that at any point in your career? Have you been like, wow, like this is what the human race is capable of. Has that ever happened? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we all know what social media is like and what a cesspool it can be. So yeah, I've definitely had my share of um, terrible tweets, people just, just being awful. Um, yeah. but so many of those tweets, I just, I mean, you, you definitely need to develop thick skin in this business as I'm sure is the same thing for you. And earlier in my career, getting comments about, my hair or my weight or just being a woman in sports and I should be in the kitchen. Like in the beginning, those comments used to really get to me. I'm a lot better now. They don't bother me as much. Every once in a while, I'll get one that just like gets you in the gut and yeah. it will take like one or two days before it goes away. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they get it. But most of the time I just have to remind myself, like what kind of person takes the time to go on social media and criticize or insult somebody else? Like what kind of person is that? And I just- I I don't, I rarely engage with those comments. And the few times that I have, I usually regret it. So now I just try and not even pay attention to it, which is easier said than done sometimes. But I just feel like engaging with some of these morons just won't really work. And some people disagree with me. Some people want to get into that fight and they want to call those people out. And I, I kind of get it, but I just, I don't know. Sometimes dealing with these people, I'm not sure it gets you anywhere really. No, and that's what I feel like too. Like I've I've taken the bait too from time to time, mm -hmm. where you're like the minute you hit send, you're like, oh why? Because mm -hmm. it never ends with someone going, "You're right, Trent. I now <laughs> see your point of view. I apologize. Let's be it friends." Never, like it <laughs> never ends that way. Exactly. Never ever. Yeah. And so it's like it just it's just I call it tennis. It's like they hit the ball over the net. My option now is to just let the ball go by me and not hit it back. But if you hit it back, it's tennis. Like yep. it's now they're going to hit it back. You're oh yeah. By the way, you misspelled there, <laughs> and then you. Right. What are we doing? And I catch myself like, what am I doing? Could I yep. not be doing something productive right now instead of battling someone who's probably fourteen in their basement? Like, what am I doing? 
Yeah, that's a great analogy. That's a great analogy, the tennis thing. And that, yeah, I just, I, I don't know if engaging is the best way to go. Like you said, I don't, I'm not sure I'm going to teach them anything. I'm not really sure they're capable of being taught if they're already stupid enough to be on social media, making comments like that. Like, I don't know yeah. if there's help for those people. Yeah, that's, not a, that's not a teachable moment. That person's not going like, I'd like to be educated. And therefore here's this nasty tweet about your hair. It's like, <laughs> no, nothing's good coming back to this person. They don't want to hear anything. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's extremely difficult. And I, I, it's funny you touched on that because that's kind of where I was going to go is that I feel like in the last bunch of years with the Me Too movement and stuff, and I feel like a lot of men have had their eyes just opened up to what it's like to be a woman in the world and walk around. And I feel like I, for one, kind of was like, you know, you're in the skin you're in and you, you live your life. And I kind of realized like just basic day-to-day -day things for a lot of women, it's like, it's just different it's just different for a woman than it is for a man. And I, I think a lot of men have a blind spot to it. I wouldn't say that they're like necessarily, you know, malicious. It's just that you, you live in your own experience. So mm -hmm. it's really hard to understand someone else's experience when it's so different to yours. And I remember being at comedy clubs and you'd be finishing up late at night at like 2 a.m. and you're leaving. And a server who would be female would say like, are you leaving right now? And I'd be like, yeah. And they're like, which way are you walking? Can I walk with you to the subway or whatever? And in your mind, you're like, okay. And you realize it's because they just want to feel safe. They don't want to walk out on Yonge Street like at 2 a.m., 2.30 by themselves. And I thought to myself, like, I'm a 6'3 man. I don't, I've never felt unsafe ever in my life, like walking down the street. But I'm like, a lot of women have to think about that all the time. And then you put online stuff now with it. And I'm like, it's just a very different experience. And so... I guess that's kind of where I was, where I was going with that. It's just that like, it's like the experience for a woman in sports for you, like how do you find challenges with regards to that? I, I mean, when I think about my time in Saskatchewan, I, I feel like the people I worked with, the men that I worked with, the coaches of the teams that I was covering were all awesome. Like I didn't experience really any, anything terrible really from men you know maybe one or two incidents later down the road a few comments from a player or whatever but nothing huge um that really affected me or really bothered me um and i feel now i mean at tsn the i think the number of female anchors outnumbers the the, the male anchors sorry there's more females than males so it feels pretty equal there um but i think i'm one of the lucky ones i think a lot of women, you hear so many stories about how they've been treated unfairly or unpoorly or poorly, sorry, um, which is unfortunate, but I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones that I haven't had to go through a lot of that kind of stuff. Well, good, good. Yeah. That's good to hear, especially this yeah. day and age, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, but Natasha, go ahead, sorry. I was just, just your comment about, um, man versus woman sort of walking home alone that, that I, I was having a conversation with somebody about that because when I go for runs let's say in the evening I'm constantly checking behind me constantly or who's ahead of me on the street do I have to cross the street because there's a weird figure lurking over there or what and I think yeah guys you probably never do that ever ever it's, it's no, we, actually yeah it is it's like you I, I had to really pause and think and go like okay what if I I have to look at my watch to see what time this place closes and how dark it's getting outside and where my car is parked in relation to where the building is. And I'm like, I've never thought about any of this stuff ever in my life. And so 
it was just very eye-opening once I had that realization that like that's how a lot of women have to think on a daily basis and and you realize like wow it's a very different experience than what I what I have I think a lot of men are opening their eyes to it now and I guess I will say coming back to just being uh in journalism as a woman in in sports it is I did feel like I have to had to be perfect all the time. I wasn't allowed to make the same mistakes that men are allowed to make. You just get called out way earlier and way faster if you're a woman who accidentally says the wrong thing. Like, and it's, you know, it's the same thing with what you're wearing. It sometimes feels like you can't win. Like either you're too sexy or you're not sexy enough, or you're, you know, you're not professional enough or no, you can't hang around with the players. Like you're just under a microscope uh, that is way more intense than it is for men in this field. That for sure, I felt. Yeah, it's weird. The other thing too I find amazing about these kind of things is that they become normal over time and that's the real danger because when things become normal, we don't question them anymore, push back on them. And then something big happens and we go, oh shit, like we, we were, that was just happening for the longest time and we never, or I lived in that skin for that time and just, that was just a normal thought I had, you know, like, for me with race, it was that way where I was like, I would start dating somebody when I was younger and it'd be like, I wonder if their parents know that I'm not white. Like, I, that's just a thought I would have. I would never verbalize it, but in my head, it would go there and I go, isn't that amazing that that just becomes a normal thought pattern for a person, you know, and you just accept it as normal. And you're like, but should it be normal? Should that be a thought that's going through my mind? But society often dictates what thoughts will be going through our head. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. And when I look back at the last 10 years or the last 15 years, for sure, there are things exactly what you said. You just get normal. You think they're normal. You get used to them. You don't think there's anything wrong with them until you really examine them. And, you know, why did I feel so much pressure when I was in a scrum to ask the perfect question? Like, I don't think the guy standing next to me felt that kind of pressure. But for me, I just felt like my question had to be perfect. And if it wasn't, then everybody was going to look down on me. And you just get used to that, but it shouldn't be like that. It's strange. No. It's crazy how that happens. It's amazing. Yeah. I, and I really believe like life is just the stories we tell ourselves, you know, and so that everyone's got a different channel in their heads, you know, and it's playing a certain, a certain dialogue all the time. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative, but it's like, you know, the ability to change that channel when we need to, it's, it's, it's vital. So it's, uh, I think everyone has that to a certain degree. Um, well, thank you so much for your time today. This is awesome. We could have done four hours. We could get into your like professional curling career that you're going to have. Yeah. And- I got lots of time now, so I need to go pick up a room, <laughs> find some rocks, find some ice, and yeah, off I go. Also, if we do the full contact curling league, I'll be looking to have a draft. Okay. So if you're up for it. Okay. Count me. I'm totally in. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. It was awesome. Thanks, Trent. This is great. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.